You know, that went so well last week that I thought that I'd do it again, and I kind of feel like everybody kind of likes that, you know? I mean, it's, uh, we don't really, other than passing each other in the doorway, sometimes we, uh, we don't really get a, an opportunity to, to see a new face or to, or to welcome a new face, to, to pray with someone, to uh, welcome them in the name of the Lord. I think I actually heard, bless you, my child, come out of somebody's mouth out there. <laughs> was, it, was it Landon? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh. I love it. Oh, man, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. Um, and just thank you for, for joining uh, in the family. If you, uh, and, and you here, as well as anyone virtually, if you have uh, something that we can be praying for you about, please take the opportunity to use the uh, connection cards uh, to send us and give us your prayer request. Uh, the, 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 there's new designs of the connection cards in the back of all the seats, so thanks to, to Robin and her, um, and her graphic arts. Uh, and she loves making those things, so use them a lot, okay? No, I mean, it was a, it's such a blessing that we are able and have the ability to pray and care for one another. Father, we're grateful again, Lord, to be in your presence, to be in your house. And I just pray, Lord, that as we study your word, as we hear... Um, from your voice through uh, the Word of God in, in scriptures. Lord, may we be transformed. May we um, just bear open our hearts and our souls, Lord, so that you can um, Lord, so that you can change us, Lord, so that you can fill us with your presence, with your wisdom, with your knowledge, Lord, with your goodness. Lord, I just pray that this morning, even as I speak, Lord, that it's not words that come from uh, my heart specifically, but, Lord, words that you have, you have prompted me to speak by your Spirit. And even, Lord, if I, um, if I miss something, may by your sovereignty, Lord, clarify anything that needs to be clarified and speak, Lord, according to your righteousness and your holiness. In Christ I pray. Amen. We're at the end, and uh, I know you guys are, are sad to hear of our three-week uh, sermon series on enemy of the state. And uh, as we began the, the message series, we talked about how we are guaranteed certain conditions that we get to live in uh, because of our faith and because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of those things, and the first one was uh, that we get to live in a state of forgiveness, perpetual forgiveness all the time. And man, what a blessing that is to to know that uh, we that we were, will always be in the favor of the Lord because of our relationship with Christ. Then we talked about the state of freedom last week, where we, we do have a lot more choice, a lot more ability to make choices uh, and, and free will than we give ourselves credit to sometimes. We like to bind ourselves often in, in religion, but Jesus tried to tell us from the start, look, I, I'm trying to get you to, to shun the religion and just have a relationship with me instead of religion. And today we're going to end with a state of joy and how the enemy can interrupt the state of joy that we should have in our lives because of our relationship with Christ. Now, when you think about joy, what do you think about? You don't think about that? You don't think about detergent? Um, one of the, the pastors uh, over, uh, Bob Castens, one of his favorite, I think, dad jokes that he has. He's the pastor over at um, 
Louisville Christian Church, is he wants to show you his family that has pictures in his wallet. And he says, hey, I'm going to show you my pride and joy. And he will open up his wallet, and the first picture is a, is a, is a picture of pride, the cleaner, and joy <laughs> side by side. And he said, this is my pride and joy. And then it goes on to his family. But uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to steal that. You know, that's, that's been around a while. But, I, but when we think about joy, sometimes, um, sometimes we can interject or sometimes we can confuse the word happiness and joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. And let me tell you why. Well, often we say that we're happy when we're actually joyful, or sometimes we'll say we're, we, we try to exp- express that we have joy, and it comes across as, well, I'm happy. Well, the truth is, happiness is conditional. Like, you can, you can, enter, you can, you can enter into and out of happiness pretty regularly. Uh, me, personally, I'm extremely happy when I have a large bowl of Baskin-Robbins chocolate ice cream, okay? I'm extremely happy. But because I have a lactose intolerance, about two hours later, I am not happy (laughs) at all. But for some reason, that unhappiness is short-lived because I find that happy place of, you know, like two weeks later doing the same thing. So happiness kind of ebbs and flows, and it's, it's situational, you know, a, per, a certain event can happen, someone could say something, we can find ourselves in a, in a particular situation that we feel this, um, this I guess, this momentary state of, of bliss, of, um, of excitement. But joy, joy is something much deeper than that. Joy is something that is that state of peace, that state of hope, that state of, of satisfaction that is, really has its root right down in our gut, that right down in our soul, to where we recognize that regardless of the condition, regardless of a situation, that we will still feel fulfilled, that we'll still feel assured, that we'll still, we will still feel confidence. You see the difference? See, joy doesn't matter about the situation. And that's why we recognize that people can still have joy and they can rejoice in the midst of terrible times. They can rejoice whenever they are being persecuted. They can rejoice whenever they're sick. They can rejoice whenever situations are less than optimal. Because there's something down inside, there's something in their gut that reassures them that there's peace, that everything's going to be okay. That I'm, I'm actually, I'm feeling this assurance, this fulfillment in my soul, even though my body and my flesh is experiencing this particular ailment at the time. Now, the occasion and context by which we experience this a spiritual state of joy, we read in Scripture, and we get through various uh, notes from the apostles, from the apostle Paul, from the apostle Peter, that joy, true long-lasting and true um, unshakable um, joy comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But often, unfortunately, the, the context and the situation, I guess the, 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 the occasion in which we are taught that we would experience joy sometimes has been misunderstood, sometimes it's been misrepresented or, or even misinterpreted in Scripture. And, and that can lead sometimes to 
intentionally or unintentionally, someone teaching the point that we should be joyful, or when we get to experience joy, that may or may not be what God had intended from the onset in Scripture. And let me tell you what, let me, let me give you an idea of what I'm saying. There's a lot of talk, and there's a lot of people that will teach that we're just, we're just trudging through this time here on earth. We're here for a short time. We're just making it through because the time that we get to really experience and, and to receive joy is whenever we are at the end of this life and in the new life in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a, um, it's not just a, 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 I guess a current theme or a current teaching. There's things that have been, these, these, these kind of teachings and ideas have been going on for centuries. Listen to the words of this old hymn, and you, you probably will be familiar with this old hymn. When we all get to heaven, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this hymn. I'm just saying, think about, think about what it's trying to tell us or what it's trying to uh, get us to expect when we get to experience joy. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Now, we definitely will. We'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ, and we'll get to experience that joy. But as the, the writer of this hymn goes on, we start to get this idea that maybe joy is only to be experienced whenever we are finally out of this life and in the presence of Christ. Because while we walk in the pilgrim's pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory with the toils of life will repay. Onward to the prize before us. Soon His beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open and we'll, we shall tread the streets of gold. Now, I'm not saying that the hymn at all is bad theology, because we are definitely promised these things to be when we're in the presence of Christ. But what I'm saying is the perception of what some authors and, and very prominent speakers give us is that joy can't be experienced here because of life's toils, because of sin, because of the dysfunction of the world. And when I say prominent speakers, it even comes from some folks that are very influential in our culture. And this is a quote from, from Billy Graham. My home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, there are parts of that that I truly believe. Our citizenship is in heaven. But I actually disagree that this world is not our home. You see, because I believe that Genesis teaches us that God built, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the earth for man to dwell. And if he created this place and put us on it, then the expectation is, hey, I'm comfortable here. I'm, I'm at home here. I'm at home in the flesh. I'm at home in the place that he created. Now, certainly it's gone awry over the generations because of sin. But I believe that this place really is our home. And if it weren't, if this weren't the place that we were meant to dwell as human beings, then why does God talk to us about sending Jesus back here? See, 
we never have the expectation in Scripture that all of a sudden we're all going to be taken away from this place into heaven to be with Christ. What do we know about the end of time? That Jesus comes where? Back here. He comes back here because this is our home. Now he comes back to fix it all. There's no question about that. But this is our place that God has built for us. He's going to send his son back to earth. And listen, I'm not saying this is a new, this is a new teaching, this is a new uh, doctrine or theology that gets us confused about when we get to experience the promises of God. All the way back in Acts, we see where Jesus was ascended into heaven after his resurrection. And what do we find? That first generation of disciples... Jesus was taken up into heaven, and as the disciples were watching, a cloud took them out of, their, out of their sight. While he was going, they're gazing up into heaven. Jesus, take us with you. We want to go where you are, because that's where, that's where joy and fulfillment is. That's how we, that's how we find the, the, the bliss that we've been looking for. But Jesus had never prayed for that. When he even prayed for the Father in his final days, he said, Lord, I'm not praying to take these people out of the world. I'm praying that you encourage them in the world to do the work that you've called them to do in their home. And two men dressed in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? And what is this promise? The same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. Now, to me, that's encouraging. It's like, you know what? I don't always have to be looking forward to the end of this life, to another life in the presence of Jesus Christ and in heaven or in God's space to experience the promises that he's given because he's, he's promised them to give them to us here in the place that he's made our home. In fact, Paul in Philippians says, yes, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly, eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul, he never expected that all of a sudden everybody was going to be taken up into heaven. He was expecting, even in his lifetime, that Jesus was going to come back there and make everything right. So why then does Paul say that we eagerly wait for a Savior from there? He doesn't say, I eagerly wait for my Savior to take me there. He says, we're waiting here for our Savior to come here. And then he uses this term that we're citizens. We're citizens in heaven. And this is one of the places that we get confused sometimes. And that gets, I guess, misunderstood and maybe mistaught and maybe not intentionally. But when we think about citizenship, we start thinking, well, if we're citizens in heaven, then obviously don't we have to, aren't we expected to live there at some point? Aren't we expected to be there, and that's where we're going to be completely fulfilled and joyful? Well, not exactly. Because if you've ever traveled abroad, if you've ever lived in another country, you'll recognize that when you arrive in another country, or if you live in another country, you're still citizens of the United States. I remember when we lived in New Zealand, we didn't change our citizenship. We, our residency was in New Zealand, but our citizenship was in the United States. Now, what does that mean? That means that we were still afforded the same 
the same um, uh, protections, the same rights, the same political, the same civil, social rights as every other citizen in the country. We could vote there in the United States. We could vote while we were in New Zealand. We could do everything there that we could have done here if we were physically here. And I believe that's what Paul was saying. It's not the fact that you have to physically be in that place to experience the, the, the joys and to experience the, the, um, um, uh, the privileges of being a citizen of heaven. What you just have to recognize is that that citizenship, it surpasses your physical existence. It surpasses where, wherever you reside physically. So if this is our home and we're promised that Christ is coming back here to our home to, to create and to recreate a new heavens and a, and a new earth, that we're going to give a new body so that we can be here, then we should also expect that in this place and in this time that we, that we can expect the promises of Christ like forgiveness, like freedom, like joy. That we can be joyful now in this place that we can experience the things here that so many folks have tried to tell us that we have to wait until the end of this life to experience. The Apostle Peter, I believe, said it better than, than anyone else. In, in, the, uh, in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9, through nine. he reads this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, I'm going to pause there because that's another one of those stumbling block statements. Kept in heaven for you. If it's kept in heaven, well, that obviously means that if I'm going to experience these things, that I've got to get to heaven to, to appreciate them, right? To receive them. Well, do you have to go to the bank to recognize that you have money in your account? Do you have to physically arrive there at the teller and have her show you the, in my case, tens of dollars <laughs> that you have in your account? for you to recognize that it's being kept safe there for you. No. What Peter is saying here is God is, God is keeping these things in his kingdom. He's, he's safeguarding them for you. For each one of us. All of these treasures, he's safeguarding them for us. He continues on, he says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now you rejoice in this, a show of joy, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, through per which though perishable is refined by fire, this may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Now, if that seems really wordy, read that verse, verse 7, without the hyphenated section in the middle, which is just an addition that Peter adds to, to give some clarification. So that the proven character of your faith, 
may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter is saying that there's a rejoicing that can happen even if we, for some reason, have to experience trials and tribulations and troubles in this life. And he specifically says that if necessary. Now, who decides if they're necessary? Well, God decides if they're necessary. Because God decides whether or not we need to have our faith encouraged or our faith strengthened. But in that, we should still be rejoicing that God sees us worthy and fit to strengthen our faith. And we can rejoice in the midst of those occasions. The prophet Habakkuk had a, a, a brilliant statement in his, in his book. Habakkuk chapter 3, 16 through 18. He had spent the majority of his book praying for the demise of the enemies that were oppressing Israel. And he gets all the way to the end, uh, towards the end of his book. And he says, I've prayed for these things. I've called down uh, uh, distress on my enemies. But now this is where I find myself. In verse 16 says, And now that I've spoken all that I've spoken, that I've requested all that I've requested, I must wait quietly for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. He says, you know what, I've, I've put my best foot forward, I've prayed, I've prayed, Lord, I've petitioned you, and now I have to be patient and wait for you. But in that waiting, in verse 17, he says, but in that waiting, though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And what does Habakkuk realize that he gets to experience in this life that a lot of us don't realize that we get to experience in this life? In that there is joy in fully understanding the richness of our salvation in Jesus Christ so that we can, we can persevere through the things that, we are, that, that life throws at us, that the world throws at us. And Peter finishes his thought and he says, though you have not seen Jesus Christ, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because, and listen to, the, listen to the tense of what he's saying, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are receiving it now. You're receiving the goal of your faith right now. And in that, we should be rejoicing right now. We should have a joy that wells up in our stomach, in our gut, in our soul, that says, God, I know that I'm struggling through this, but Lord, I am, I am at peace with where I am in you because I know that you have saved my soul through your son, Jesus Christ. I'm not uneasy about how, how things turn out in this life. I'm not uneasy about what comes at me. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's struggle, but, but in, the, in, in my gut, 
regardless of what life throws at me, have this feeling of assurance, of confidence, of peace. That's the joy that Peter talks about that comes from our salvation that's promised to us through Jesus Christ. But the enemy, the enemy wants to tell us otherwise. The enemy wants to come at us and say, well, first of all, you can't experience that joy now because of all the madness that's going on in the world. Or maybe he tries to put a doubt in our mind about whether we are truly in the protection in the arms of God. You see, if we don't have this mindset, and it's, mer- it's, it's, it's more than just, it's more than just a, 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 a surface level um, uh, belief that we need to have about the place and the time that we get to experience this joy. And the reason that it's much more serious than it seems from the start is because the enemy can take these misunderstandings of the place that we get to experience this joy and use them to his benefit. And if you have an alternate mindset that there is no joy to be enjoyed in this world, that only joy is to be experienced in the afterlife, then we're allowing ourselves to be robbed of experiencing joy now and in this place. And it makes makes us experience a life that is full of despair. And that's the last thing that God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for us to experience, a life of despair. He wants us to be assured. He wants us to be confident. But there are two... There are two further dangers that I find that the enemy can use this mindset. And one is that if we're not careful, we can allow a misunderstanding of the place and time that we get to experience joy to devalue life on this earth. And you know how dangerous that can be? When people do not realize that they can be joyful in this place and enjoy their life. It devalues the sanctity of life. And if they devalue the sanctity of life, then then life then on this earth is not not seen as holy, is not seen as reverent, is not seen as precious. And therefore you have things that rise like euthanasia. You have things that rise like abortion. You have things that rise about suicide because life is therefore not valued and seeing that we can experience the promises that God has has given us in this life here and now. And if that's not enough, the enemy can use our lack of joy to create in us a passive, lethargic approach to life with a lax luster, work for the kingdom. In other words, it can create a lot of armchair quarterbacks that sit here and go, you know what? This is not our home. We're just passing through. I'm just waiting on my time. Just waiting on my time to be with the Lord and everything's going to be okay. 
And what happens if we have the majority of God's family that are doing that, that are sitting here just waiting to experience the joy at some other point in their existence? Well, one, the gospel message isn't being shared. Two, our, the expectation of each one of us to build for God's kingdom through the power of, of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ has given us, there is no more building of the kingdom. Because we're all just here passing through, waiting on the joy at the other side. You see, it's because we experience the joy, it's because we have received the joy that we want to pass on the same thing, the same feeling, the same assurance that we have to others. It's because of the confidence that we have that we want to be able to share that with our neighbors, that we want you to be joyful too. We want you to value life. I want you to build for the kingdom. I want you to have a purpose in your home. What a better way for the enemy to stop the advancement of God's kingdom than to convince people that we can't be joyful, we can't be fulfilled in this life, only in the next one. And I want us to, as we enter into a time of prayer and meditation and, and, and communion, I want us to leave, if we could, I want to leave this scripture up here on the, on the screen. As Paul states, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there was full expectation from Jesus, from the apostles, that the new life that we experience and that we would experience in Christ would allow us to experience joy right now. And not just that we get to have that one-off experience, but it becomes a condition by which we live, a joyful state of being. And just imagine, if we're walking around with that type of armor on us, that we're joyful, the enemy's arrows are just going to bounce right off of us. They can throw at us affliction, they can throw at us sickness, they can throw at us death, they can throw at us war, disease, but yet the joy, the joy through the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, it can't be moved. It can't be overtaken. It can't be destroyed. If you have your communion elements with you, Why don't you pick those up now? If someone has not uh, failed to pick up the cup and the bread, there's a, a couple of folks in the back that are willing to bring those around to you. Maybe this is a time for, for each of us to reflect on the joy that we should be experiencing in Christ right now. And sure, there are promises, there, are, there is rest, there is um, there's peace, there's paradise to experience with, in the presence of Jesus Christ in the life after. I'm not denying that at all. 
What I'm saying is that we need to focus on where we are right now. The promises that God has given us that we get to experience right here and now. Like being joyful. Like a heart of gratitude for the salvation of our souls through Jesus Christ. And that's the very reason why Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for each one of us. So that we could receive and be filled with that joy. Imagine if you were to have lived in those generations before the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's hard for us to do because we've never lived in that generation. But to live in that place to where you're never quite sure of your relationship with God. Where everything kind of feels like a, a, a day of desperation, of hope that God has favor on you. The blessing that we have of living in this day and age is that we know that hope. We've been guaranteed that hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's because of his sacrifice that he wants you to take full advantage of every promise that he's given you. And that's to experience the joy of the salvation of your soul. The joy of life. The joy of having a hope. The joy of having a purpose in this world. Father, I pray, Lord, as we take this meal, Lord, that we remember that these conditions of life didn't come, Lord, without a very expensive price. The life of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, what he laid down his life to give us, Lord, I pray that we accept and receive in full. Yes, Lord, the salvation of our souls. Yes, Lord, the, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, but so much more. So much more has been fixed in eternity. So much more has been fixed in the spirit realm. Lord, where we get to experience perpetual forgiveness, a life of freedom, an existence that is joyful, that surpasses all circumstances. Father, as we take this bread and this cup this morning, I pray that we remember the sacrifice that was given to us to receive that joy. And Lord, may we receive it in full. May we accept it. And may we abide in it. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's eat and drink together.